The Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. I, Tim Roy, always a pleasure to welcome in from NBA.com, Scott Howard Cooper, and, and the longtime uh, scribe who has covered the NBA for years and years and never uh, behind the curve as far as stories go. And, Scott, a pleasure once again to have you on board, and, and we have lots of things we can talk about. Great as always to be with you. First of all, let's, let's set the stage what's happening in Northern California. Here's how it sounded on the Tuesday in Sacramento when Mayor Kevin Johnson, former Cal standout, former NBA star, held a press conference announcing that Sacramento is not going down without a fight. The folks in Seattle don't celebrate too early. And because we as a community, we've had the emotional roller coasters. It's hard and it's tough. And I would hate for them to be misled and at the end of the day, if they don't get a team in the time frame that they want, it's going to be very hard. And I, I just say to the fans of Seattle, you know, be cautiously optimistic, be smart, but this isn't about our city against their city or one mayor against another mayor. We have something that's ours. We want to keep it, and we're going to do everything we can to make Sacramento the final resting place of the Sacramento Kings. Scott, a lot of, uh, uh, almost had the feel of a little bit of a pep rally there yesterday, didn't it? Well, it definitely had the feel of a pep rally. Uh, the announcement was a bit of a boost for people in Sacramento, but certainly nothing significant in the really big picture when you're talking about putting together a deal for hundreds of millions of dollars, to have 19 people come up at a million dollars each. The, after the press conference, they added one more, so they're at 20 people for about $20 million. That's obviously a very small fraction of what they need to get to. That was the first step. Kevin Johnson said he hopes by the end of this week and uh, certainly by sometime next week at the latest to have the big money guy announced, and that, then we'll really know what's rolling. It seems like you know they're trying to almost go step by step just to keep the buzz going. Uh, do you think they have a shot at getting to the point where the league would say, you know what, there's enough money there to uh, to keep the team in Sacramento, and we're going to say no to the Seattle deal. Because obviously, you know, the, it's almost like a, a, an instant replay review. You know, the, the call on the field is they've sold the team to Greg Hansen. You know, now is there enough evidence on the other side to overturn that? The problem is uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that the real issue is can Sacramento get the money or can Sacramento get an arena? I, I think the answer to both of those questions is yes. The biggest problem for Kevin Johnson and the Sacramento operation is who's sitting on the other side of the ballot. Uh, you're asking people not only to vote in favor of Sacramento, which the Board of Governors can certainly do, but you're asking them to, in the process, vote against Seattle. And that's where it gets to be in a real long shot for Sacramento. The Seattle bid has everything that a, a league could want. The deep pockets of an owner going into a market with a proven history of backing sports. Uh, the passion is obviously there for the return of the NBA. Rename them the Supersonics and put them back in the green and the gold. There, there's a new arena that is ready to go. Uh, there is absolute, the, the Seattle bid checks all the boxes. And that's the real problem for Sacramento right now. is isn't what Sacramento's bid looks like. It's what Seattle's bid looks like. That's what Sacramento has to beat. It needs to go to the Board of Governors and drum up some sympathy and say, hey, I know you got, you got what basically looks like an ideal opportunity here to get back into Seattle. 
a big market with international corporate backing. Uh, but you know what? We've been we've been good for the NBA for a number of years. Give us some sympathy and stick with us. And I guess also too, uh, there there's some financial considerations involved. Uh, I believe too, right? Because if if they move to Seattle, there is a relocation fee, and the owners get a cut of that, right? There's always financial aspects involved. Yes, there's there's no question. And when we talk about why the Seattle bid looks so appealing to the owners, uh, there is that relocation fee, but also the money that could potentially be coming in for the next ten or twenty years. The owners certainly will be looking at that. When the relocation committee does its research, I suspect that one of the things it will be noting uh, is the potential economic impact of being in a market the size of Seattle versus a market the size of Sacramento. And again, that's a problem for Kevin Johnson and his group. It's not an anti-Sacramento thing, but it's another pro-Seattle aspect that will certainly be considered. Scott Howard Cooper, NBA.com, is our guest. I'm Tim Roy. Now let's move on to uh, other aspects here in terms of uh, of the NBA and and what do you see is happening with the Memphis Grizzlies right now because they just made a trade that's very lopsided but it also has to tie in with the salary cap they cleared enough salary that they're able to get away from the luxury tax which has obviously been a goal what we don't know is whether this is the end of their dealing uh, there was it was a great deal of conversation between the Grizzlies as some other teams around the league in the last couple of weeks, primarily involving Rudy Gay. And there was some conversation about, well, it's clearly a money move the Grizzlies were trying to make. And some people are now saying that they don't need to do a Rudy Gay deal because they got under the luxury tax. So, so that's going to save them a large chunk of change. There was a different school of thought, though, among some teams that I had talked to, and that was maybe... The Grizzlies' new ownership and new management team thinks that they have a good team but not a great team and that if they may feel like uh, this team is is good enough to be among the top four or five in the West but that they want a challenge to be the top one or two and therefore a legitimate threat to win the West and get to the finals. Uh, And so maybe they're looking at Rudy Gay offers as a way to improve themselves actually on the court. That so there is some doubt whether this is or is not the end of the Grizzlies' conversations. And I think it's it's interesting that to um, they've they've got a lot of issues going on down there because Lionel Hollins obviously is is in the final year of his deal, and but but yet they're still right there. They're still poised to make a title run. And I think the case could be made that just by, uh, the again, because it's a new ownership, that they want to look around and sort of assess the value of their team on their own terms, not just take the word of of what uh, the previous owner had told them. And, and Chris Wallace is still there. He, he is in place as, as the former and the current general manager, but there also are other people that have been brought in very high up into basketball operations. So... You can certainly understand what Memphis is going for by having a lot of conversations, but I think it's it's fair to note that just by doing the window shopping that it'll be interesting to see if this comes into the locker room at all. Because you're right, things are going well, but there are but there is a great deal of uncertainty about exactly where the team is headed. I can't help but wonder if the distractions will have an impact at some point. Scott, let's, let's move on to uh, what's happening with the Los Angeles Lakers. Do you think there's any scenario out there where they would trade Dwight Howard this year? I think 
closer to the point that they have to at least be having those internal conversations. Certainly they would never would never say so publicly, and I think at some point it comes down to conversations that I suspect either they have had or at some point will have to have with Dwight, uh, where you just go straight at him and say, what are your thoughts about next season? And we need to know. And at the same time, they make it clear to him, we want you here. We think you're our bridge to the future. It's everything that we envisioned when we traded for you. But we need to know what you're thinking. Now, obviously, I think that uh, Mitch Kupchak is aware of that and Jim Buss is aware of that. And at some point, because things are not going well, and and Dwight is is starting to make noise again about uh, his level of unhappiness. It's become quite clear. So... I think they base it on what he says. That if they go to him and says, "What you know," if they go to him and say, "Tell us your thinking," and if he says, "I'm 100% committed to being here," I'm frustrated, but I still see a great future here. Then I don't think that they do anything. But if they get a response to the contrary, if there's either hemming and hawing, or you know, hey, I'm not going to stick around to be the scapegoat, then they have to see what's out there. Scott, in Phoenix, they fired Alvin Gentry, and, of course, Lindsey Hunter is now the uh, new head coach. Kinda, it was kind of sad in one sense that, that Dan Marley is out as a, an assistant coach for the Phoenix Suns because he's really one of the last connections they have there to uh, some of their best years. It's probably a, a symbolic thing more than anything because if you're the number two or number three assistant coach and you decide not to come back, uh, I, I think that's something that most organizations can overcome. But if he doesn't come back and Elston Turner then also doesn't come back, um, you've just fired your coach. There's a great deal of uncertainty uh, about the front office situation, who's still going to be around. It just looks really bad. And that's not to me. And, and actually it is in the standings, of course, but I think everybody knew that it was going to be a difficult year. Uh, but there's just this sense that everything is unraveling now. And you're right, it's important that it's Dan Marley because he is such a popular figure down there. He's been associated with the team for so long. So I think I think it's a big deal in that regard. It's just that things are, there's this sense of everything going coming off the rails in Phoenix. And, and in a hurry. I mean, this has all been very, very sudden. Let's move out of the Eastern Conference. A couple of teams I wanted to, to touch upon and uh, teams that the Warriors will see at their upcoming road trip. What's your take on the Milwaukee Bucks? Uh, Scott Skiles is out as head coach. They have some real intriguing pieces, obviously, with the guard line of Monte Ellis and, and Brandon Jennings. Uh, Larry Sanders has been very productive this year on, on the blocking shots and, and rebounding for, for the Bucks. They have some, some pieces there, but do they need to balance out their roster a little bit? Yeah, it's obviously not a, a complete roster. Um, I would also say let's give it a little time to see how things play out over the long term for the Bucks. It's not unusual anytime there's a coaching change that there's this burst of energy that, that comes with, with hearing a new voice. Uh, they, if they can maintain this for a long time, then I think they've got something. Uh, otherwise, it's just a, a middle-of-the-pack Eastern Conference team, which doesn't get you much. You do have some pieces, obviously a lot of potential. There's some uncertainty what's going to happen with Brandon Jennings as a free agent over the summer. How much, how deep will the Bucks go to match an offer to keep him? I know that Milwaukee feels like they've got some good possibilities there because when you look at the offense of Jennings and Monte, 
and the defense of a guy like Larry Sanders, and, and they're very high on what rookie John Henson can do over time once he adds some weight and gets some experience. Uh, but right now, uh, until proven otherwise, this is a team that is not making any serious inroads into the top. Now, you could say it's a, it's a success if they do make the playoffs, and that is a good thing. But obviously the goals are for something more than just getting into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. And they also have a, a big offseason upcoming for them. Exactly. Correct. Yeah, we talked about the Brendan, Brendan Jennings right. part. Uh, they need to make a decision on, on the several other key people off the court. Uh, this is a, a pivotal offseason for the Bucks, no question. Let's talk about Chicago. Uh, Derek Rose starting to, to come back, starting to get uh, into rhythm. Do you think we'll see him uh, by March, by April? Do you, do you think we'll see him before then? Well, they're... The Bulls are purposely and understandably staying away from putting a timetable on this, but uh, there's certainly a lot of indications that it's getting closer. I don't know if we want to say soon after the All-Star break, if you're looking more the you know the start of March, there's obviously uh, a couple weeks difference in there, and that's not a huge deal when you're talking about a guy that could have potentially been out an entire year, and they're obviously going to err on the side of caution. They're, bring him back a couple games too late rather than a couple games too soon. But, boy, when we talk about a, a burst of energy with a coaching change, I don't think that's anything compared to the burst of energy the Bulls would get uh, with the return of Derrick Rose. He's obviously not going to be at 100% right when he returns, but this is a team that's been playing pretty well considering it's been without its best player. Now you add in uh, Derrick Rose and you give him a, a, a couple, three weeks sort of get his rhythm back and get his conditioning back into basketball shape as opposed to workout and practice shape. And then you've got something. If they've been able to play this well without him, I, I think that that's a real possibility to be, to be the number two team in the East come the playoffs. You know, they're eight games above five hundred, and they're a team that, that has, uh, to me, they're, they're the perfect example that you know, the old phrase, defense travels, uh, because... They, you know, they really, they really are a great team without Derrick Rose. And but, but I think you know, Tom Thibodeau has it, has it, you know, their respect. I mean, if he he benches Joe Kim Noah, and it's not really the, you know, across the league headline that it would be in other places because I, I think people say, well, Thibodeau knows what he's doing, and and he's got a good reason for it. That's the key thing, Tom Thibodeau. Um, this is why a couple years ago when people talked about. Uh, up-and-coming assistants, who are the next wave, who are the guys that, that people really want on their bench. His name had been mentioned for a couple years, and this is exactly why. He's, he's done a terrific job of uh, not only building an attitude there of defense, but also in building a lot of confidence. Because let's face it, these, this is a team that you say, gosh, they're without Derrick Rose. There's a lot of guys uh, that could have taken the easy way out and say, well, gosh, we're, we're probably going to have to try to eke by this year and scrap it together until Derek comes back. And obviously that has not been the attitude there. Uh, Noah playing at an all-star level, and the defense, as you said, keeps them in every single game. That's been the big thing. And finally, I, I want to talk about Toronto for a second. They're, they're kind of an odd team in the sense where Lowry goes down and they get better. Uh, Bargnani goes out, and they win more games. Uh, I, <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to figure out. Yeah, they're, they're obviously a jumbled uh, mess right there, and I think this season was going to be a lot about 
sorting things out anyway. Uh, but that's been made all the tougher because of the injuries. I think they, they know that they do have some good pieces there. Uh, obviously, they, there's a strong belief within the organization, organization that Valanciunas is a centerpiece moving forward. He made a big investment to get Kyle Lowry and feels like he's a part of the future. DeMar DeRozan has taken a step forward. Uh, there's been a couple good moments from Terrence Ross, their lottery pick. So there, there is reason for encouragement, but... Uh, Bargnani remains an enigma, and the wins have still been very tough to come by. And at some point, that's become the bottom line. They need to get their guys healthy. They need Valanchunas to get the experience of playing in a rookie season rather than sitting in a rookie season to really know what they have going forward. Scott Howard Cooper, always a pleasure to uh, to talk some round ball with you. I appreciate your time uh, today and, and look forward to uh, catching up with you somewhere down the NBA trail. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate that.